So, Father, hear our prayer that um, you would speak to us today by your word and by your spirit as our hearts are open to you. Lord, just believing that you, a mighty, wonder-working God, can take your truth and make it real to all of us from different backgrounds, different ages, different ethnicities, all of that. You bridge over all that today and speak to our hearts. We would pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, well, when we last left the people of Israel, do you remember what was going on? If you missed last week, uh, they went down to Egypt. God sent them down to Egypt. Down in Egypt, there were 70 that went down, and while they were there, and 430 years, it became a multitude of, we think, probably two to three million people. Huge multitude. God raised up a deliverer. His name was Moses. God used him a man of courage to stand before the Pharaoh, who, like the dictator of North Korea, could have taken his life. He stood before him and said, let my people go. And God gave ten signs to him to force him to let them go. Changed his mind, started chasing them, and then did the greatest miracle of the Old Testament, which was the opening of the Red Sea, the collapse of the Red Sea on the Egyptians, and obliterated the Egyptian army. People came out on the other side. They sang a song. Uh, you have that in chapter 15 of Exodus, Moses and Miriam's song. God started feeding them with manna, which means what is it, because they didn't know what it was when it fell on the ground. But the Bible tells us in the, book of, in, in the book of the Psalms that it was the bread of angels. So it was not bad food, okay? It was great food. It's what the angels would eat. Are we going to eat in heaven? Hmm. Anyway, don't know. Don't know the answer to that. Um, get to chapter 18. Uh, Father-in-law Jethro came to see him, saw that Moses was overworked, said you need to get some people to help you. Learn the principles of delegation from that, how they got people there. Remember what they, they chose? They chose men who were competent, men who feared God. They humbled themselves before God, and they were men of trustworthy, godly character. And so those of you who are in the position where you're employing people, you would do a lot worse than to choose to go by those three qualities when you're looking for people to hire. So, and I heard the complaints on coming in. It was a long Bible reading this time. And it was, some of it's pretty dry. It's just what it is. Exodus chapter 19, all the way up through Numbers 12. Lengthy reading this time. And I'm going to, um, obviously, I, 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 I couldn't even read all those verses uh, in the amount of time that we have today. So we're going to fly over this really fast. And uh, I'm, I'm uh, strap on your seatbelt. We're going to be going fast to try to cover it. this. <clears throat> in chapter 19, Moses, and starting chapter 19 of Exodus, um, we start this period now where God is giving to his people what we commonly call the law. Now, remember, we all started in, in, with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, and Abraham says, I'm going to take you and I'm going to bless you and I'm going to build a mighty nation out of your life. And there was Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they went down to Egypt and all that. You remember that story? He's building a nation. What goes into a nation? Well, you've got to have people. 
And we see they started with Abraham, and now they're up to about 3 million. I think they've got some people, okay? They've got some people. Uh, what else do you need? Well, you need a leader. Well, God raised up a leader. His name is Moses. They've got a leader. They're leaving. They're on the way, and God says, you're going to the promised land. If you have a nation, you need a land. Something else you're going to need if you're going to have a nation. What is it? It's a culture. You need a culture. Every nation <coughs> has a culture. And so we see this in this component of what God is doing. And he expounds at some length on this, Exodus 20 through 40 and Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It is God telling people how to do things his way. A couple years ago at Global Leadership Summit, uh, Horst Schultze spoke at the summit and he is the, uh, the, the CEO of Ritz-Carlton. And he, his, his whole talk was about giving world-class service. And he told the story how that when they build a new hotel, they go in and they get all the people gathered around and they have this long list of things and this workbook and this booklet they go through to teach people how to do things the Ritz-Carlton way. Now, the only thing I remember, okay, the only thing I remember, he gave one illustration. He said one of their, one of their guidelines for giving world-class service is that whoever you are in the employment of the hotel, whenever a guest gets within five meters of you, he's German, five meters of you, you are to look them in the eye and to greet them. That's world-class service. That's the Ritz-Carlton way of doing things. So, the law in the Old Testament was given to God's covenant people to train them to do things God's way, in simple terms. Now, our text today is Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. This is a very important text, so if you turn to this, Exodus chapter 20, beginning of verse 1. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of, of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone blame, guiltless excuse me, who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant, nor maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. 
You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. This is God's holy word to us. May he bless the reading of it today. It says in verse 1, And God spoke all these words. God spoke all these words. There's no spin. There's no filter. It is from the very mouth of God to us. And he says, You shall. You must. Do this. Don't do that. Now, when an authority tells you what it is you have to do, we call it the law. This culture and instruction that we're going to see over these several books can be broken into two basic parts. Now, there's some finer distinctions that some people make, but for our purposes today, it can be broken into the moral law and the ceremonial law. And in a brief flyover of these books, in Exodus 19 through 24, God gives us commandments about behavior. In Exodus 25 through 40, we learn about the tabernacle, which is part of the ceremonial law. And if you have read through that, you just went on and on about this kind of fabric and this kind of material and this long and this color and this and all of that. In Leviticus, oh my, that's where usually our Bible reading you know, when you go read through the Bible and you're, you know, the second half of Exodus, the first of Leviticus, that's when things kind of start grinding down because it's tough. Well, Leviticus, let me, let me break it down for you. First 16 chapters tell you how to approach a holy God. And it unwraps five different kinds of offerings that we are to bring, or they were to bring, I should say. Chapter 17 through 27 is how to live with a holy God. And there are seven feasts that they were to observe. And the key verse in the book of Leviticus is Leviticus 11:45 where it says you shall be holy for I am holy. Then we get to the first 12 chapters of Numbers and there's just kind of a smorgasbord of counting the people and the order of the camps and the different offerings and uh, the establishment of the priesthood and some of that stuff. Next week we're going to focus on Numbers 13 and 14, two chapters. So long reading, short reading. Uh, for next week, so be with us on that. So let's look at the chart. Let's see where we are on the chart. Started with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. Remember the first 11 chapters of Genesis is the prologue, getting to that. Then we have Abraham, and God says, I'm chosen you, Abraham, and I'll make a mighty nation out of you. And then there was Isaac and Jacob, 12 sons. Joseph goes down in slavery to prepare the way for them. Then all of the people go down there, the 70. They multiply, that's all those pixels that you see there inside of the, uh, the dots inside of the box. And then the black dot is Moses, the leader. And they go to Mount Sinai, and he gives them 
the law. Now there's a change, there's a mistake on your chart because I made it up and it's, I'm, flaw, I'm flawed. I'm, I'm human and I'm flawed. It should go Exodus to Deuteronomy and actually Joshua, because I'm trying to put, give you some chronology with these events, Joshua should be over the land because that's where they go in and possess the land. And we're going to get there. Hang with me, we'll get there. But we're kind of right now on Mount Sinai and Moses there, remember God didn't speak directly to people, and we saw that at the end of our text this morning. God didn't speak directly to the people, but God spoke to Moses. This is the way God chose to do, to speak through his, through his man to them. So this is where we are. And if you remember back with Abraham, remember what, what I talked a lot about? I talked about how God says, I will do this. I will do this. I will make your seed like the dust of the earth. I will make it like the stars in the sky. God says, I will, I will, I will, time and time again. And now we come to starting in Exodus 19 and going through this section of Scripture, and it's you will. And those are the two great themes of the Bible. God says, I will, and God says, you must. So we come to what may be the first doctrinal problem of Scripture. Now, I want to be perfectly clear. There, there, is, nothing, there is nothing in the giving of the law. There is nothing in the Ten Commandments. There's nothing in all of these things where God says, you must do this, that annuls what he has already said and what he has already given to us in the promise where God says, I will. Remember, God saying, I will, is another way in the Old Testament of us saying grace. God does it. We don't do it. God does it. Now, Having said this, the very same God that spoke the promise to Abraham and affirmed this with his lineage also is the very same God who spoke this law and said to his people, you must do this. Now I want to tell you, you there's something inside your heart and my heart that doesn't like anybody to say, you must do this. You know, you know, I was going to say that we live in a culture that is very anti-authoritarian. But I just want to tell you, that goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, okay? That goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. I wanted to blame him on my hippie generation of the late 60s and early 70s, but it goes all the way back to way before there were hippies, okay? You know? So, so let me just tell you a truth, and, and I want to say this, and I'm not going to blink when I say it, and I want to be very direct. God has the absolute right to tell us what to do. He does. He does. So as we're, as we're making this movement through Scripture, we saw this promise in chapter 12 of Genesis, and God says, I will, I will, I will, and now we're coming, and there's some law. And so this again, and remember our big themes, there's a unity to Scripture, and there's always a progress of Scripture. God gives us a seed, and then he continually unwraps it. 
Let me, let me show you the seed of the law. The seed of the law is found back in Genesis 17.1. What does it say in Genesis 17.1? It says, walk before me or walk with me and be blameless. Walk with me has the idea of this is relationship. Remember, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, Genesis 15.6. And that's all founded or based on the fact that God says, I will, and the grace of God. Remember, the whole Bible is a book of grace. But the same God also said, be blameless. Blameless speaks to our behavior. Blameless speaks to you will. You must do this. You must not do that. So let me, let me, let me look back at Genesis 17.1, that's the seed. And it grows into what we see in Exodus 20 today, the ten words, the ten commandments. And if you could keep them all, you would be perfect, but we can't. And it is expanded then in the rest of the law. There is, again, the progressive nature from Genesis 17.1 to the ten commandments to the rest of the law that's unwrapped to us. God is progressive in his nature. So we grapple with this today. The promise says is from God, and he says, I will. And our response is faith, it is trust, it is belief. It is not works. Not works. Our response to the promise is to believe and trust and rest in God. The law says you must and our response to that is commitment and obedience. And our response to the law is behavior. It is our works. It's the things that we do. And I'll spend the rest of my time trying to unwrap and make clear that. And let me just tell you, looking ahead, I'm going to deal with it again when we get to the New Testament. Because Galatians deals with it in a, in a fuller uh, progressive nature and we'll get to that but let me just say this let me ask, answer the question were, were people in the Old Testament saved by keeping all these laws and keeping all of these commands and the answer is a, a resounding no people in the Old Testament were saved by faith and it's unwrapped in the scriptures more and more as there's more and more clarity about this coming once for all Messiah that covers their sins People in the Old Testament, we like to simplify it and say people in the Old Testament were saving by looking forward to Jesus. We're saved in the times in which we live by looking back to Jesus. So why the law? What's all this deal about the law? Well, let me back up a little bit. And, and I talked a little bit last week about finding types in the Bible. Do you remember that? I was talking about how that, that Jesus... Uh, that, that the Passover was a type of Jesus, that Jesus is our Passover lamb, and I took you to a verse in the New Testament that pointed that out. The deliverance of Israel in the Old Testament is a type of our salvation. Just as they were delivered from bondage, they were delivered from slavery, we, when we come to Christ, if there's been a time in your life that you changed your allegiance and you became loyal and submissive to King Jesus and gave your life to him, you were delivered from the slavery and the bondage of sin and darkness. You went from having no light to having light, from having no hope to having hope. 
when the Israelites came out of Egypt, that was an Old Testament picture of, of being in bondage, and when they came out, as a picture of salvation. In fact, curious, in Exodus 15, 2, the first time salvation is mentioned in the Bible, the Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. Now, notice what happened. They came out of bondage. They sang the song of salvation. Then God gives them the law. I say that because, very simply said, salvation precedes the law. Or said another way, we receive the grace of God, God says, I will, which leads to our salvation. We put our trust in Jesus Christ alone, and then we live it out by following the instructions of a good God. The law tells us how to live out our relationship with God. It is God telling us how we should live in every area of our lives. Now, maybe the Bible does not give it in every specific detail, but he gives us, I believe, and I missed this on a test one time when I was in Bible college many years ago. So, okay, the Bible gives us general principles to answer every life situation. Because I said, no, he doesn't, and I was wrong. He does. He gives us general life situations that answers all of life's issues that we can apply to every specific situation that we face. But don't miss this. If you don't hear anything else today, remember this. Relationship precedes rules with God. It's been probably close to 30 years ago now. I, I, had, a, I had a young family start attending my church, uh, Frank and Susan Ray's. And uh, Frank was Puerto Rican and Susan was Filipino. And they had three beautiful little girls. And they started coming to our church. And he came from a Catholic background, and we began to talk some. And so I said, let's go to lunch. So we went to lunch one day, and we got to talking. And he just started telling me all these things he was doing. He's like, I'm watching this guy on TV, this TV preacher, and, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing this. I said, oh, that's good. And I, and I, said, I said, Frank, you, you, you're putting the cart before the horse. You, you're trying to do all of these Christian behaviors but you're not in the family yet. And, and, and I had a chance to share the gospel with him, and he gave his life to Christ, and then he did those things. And the rules followed the relationship. Understand this. The rules never get us into the relationship. The rules were given... And in the New Testament, it's kind of analogous to the commands that we have in the New Testament. The commands are given because we are in relationship with God. And don't miss this. It's because He loves us and He wants us to flourish and be all that we can be. Let me, let me see if I can illustrate. A while back, I thought I needed this. And um, this is a, a Dremel... 7700 cordless 7.2 volt two-speed rotary tool now thanks thanks <laughs> thanks um i thought i needed this and i don't know and because any of you who know me know that i am the least handy person in the world i mean at least in the top 10 
uh, of least handy people. But I, I had something in my mind I thought I was going to use. It's been on my shelf in my garage, and yesterday I got to thinking about that again, so I got it out. And actually, I got it out before I thought about using it as a sermon illustration. That's pretty cool. And that came, the sermon illustration idea came later. Anyway, I got it out, and I was looking in this box, and it's, it's really cool. This is, uh, this is the deal that charges the battery. It's one of those cordless deals. And this is the deal. And then it has all these little attachments, like a drill that you can put in uh, this thingamabob, whatever here. Anyway, this, this is it right here. And so, um, and, I, and, and there's more. There's more. There's a little case here, and it's got all of this stuff. I mean, there's little, little pads and, and all this, and, it, 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 and it, there's, there's directions that come with it. You know, I found this in there, and I don't even know what that does. I couldn't even find a picture in the book of that. I don't even know it. So anyway, here it is, the, the operating safety instructions right here, 67 pages, 67 pages. And, um, it's, um, and there's a lot of those, those triangle things, and it says warning, which I always try to read those. Those are the ones I really want to read, because uh, I can mess up with some of the other stuff, but I probably don't need to mess up with that. But anyway, this is one of those... Um, handy-dandy, sawing, grinding, drilling devices that's really cool. And, and, the, people, and the people that made it uh, gave me this manual with it. And this is, uh, there's even more, and this is even better. This is my favorite part. This came with it. This is all the stuff you can get to go with it. I mean... This is like wowzy. All right. So I say all this, and I made all this mess up here, just to say this. They gave me this manual. The manual goes with it to help me. It's to help me. Uh, it's to help me understand, because some of you are naturals about this stuff, and you throw that away when you get it. That's the first thing you do when you open the box is throw that away. Um, but some of us aren't, and, and some of these things, and it's like, you know, there's some things in here that I would probably do that were stupid, and I'd hurt myself or mess up the, or break the, what do they call this, rotary device, anyway. But you know, if I, if I took this manual, and I didn't have one of these, why would I have a manual if I didn't have one of these? What good would a manual be without one of these? What good are the rules without the relationship? I just want to tell you, they're no good. And it's like Frank Ray's trying over and over again to keep the rules, to do the right stuff, to do the right stuff. And it's like, it's backwards. It's backwards. So when we look at the law in the Old Testament, let me clean up my mess here. I'll put this all together between services if I can. I don't know if I get it all back in the box. Uh, and, I'm, and, you know, and I've never been good at folding maps, so I don't know if I'll ever get this thing folded up again. Um, <clears throat> there's a story about that, too. Um, a friend at me was so mad at me. We were on a trip, and I was folding this map, and I made a, I made a map. He's one of those 
real neat people anyway. When we get to the New Testament, it's going to get unwrapped some more. But the law was never intended to make people righteous with God. Let me give you a couple of verses. And this is, a, this is like a looking ahead to some of the things we're going to encounter. Romans 3.20 says this. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. That's one of the things that the law does. It makes us realize our shortcomings. Now, there's some other things we're going to see, a number of things we're going to see when we get to the New Testament. Galatians 2.16 says it, and this is very powerful, I think. Know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. It's God's grace to us. It's God saying, I will do this, okay? We're saved by grace. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one, no one, no one will be justified. <clears throat> we are saved by the, by the grace of God. We are saved by God reaching down to us. Not by us reaching up to God with our good works that somehow God's going to be pleased with us and God's going to say, you've done enough. Now, <clears throat> I, I don't want to say that you said, well, pastor, then should people not try to live good lives? Aren't you glad when people, even people that don't know God, try to live good lives? Yeah, because it just makes, it makes everything better. Um. And, and, and sometimes in that goodness, we see God speaks to that. And, and I think about Cornelius in the, in the New Testament, who's a good and righteous, God-fearing man, and God reached out to him. And, and I think about the centurion who Jesus healed his person, his servant or whatever, at a distance, you remember? And he said, I hadn't seen faith like this anywhere else. And so those things do matter. But let me be perfectly clear. No man or woman is good enough to earn God's approval. No one. I want to be crystal clear about that. And the law is not for that. It wasn't in the Old Testament times, and keeping God's rules today is not about that. Robertson McQuilkin was the president of my seminary. He wrote a book on ethics, and, and I want to use a quote from that. It goes like this. The law never was intended to make us righteous. The law simply shows us what we ought to be. For the lost sinner... This is good news, for it leads him to the Savior. In other words, it creates guilt in us. It shows us that we don't measure up. For the saved sinner, this is good news, for it describes clearly what he is growing toward, what he longs to be to satisfy his Savior, likeness to Jesus Christ. So, hear me today. Old Testament, New Testament, we're people of grace it is our source of hope and forgiveness in life. But never ever, hear me, never play the grace card to diminish the commands that God has given to us. The grace card does not diminish the importance of obedience in the life of the true Christian. 
Again, it's summarized in Leviticus. What does it say in Leviticus 11:45? Be holy, for I am holy. The New Testament talks about this. I think the second half of James chapter 2, take some time to read that about faith and works. Faith, genuine faith, always leads us to works. It always leads us to doing the things that please God out of living in conformity to His will. 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And that's a reference back to the Leviticus 11 passage. You know, I, I think as I, as I evaluate kind of where we are in 2017, and I think about Christendom, and I think about the church today, and I think we're, we're really good at emphasizing grace, and forgiveness and hope, and we should. But I'm not so sure we're as good at talking about holy living. And we're scared of that because it leads to people thinking about works, earning God's approval, and all that kind of stuff. And I get that. But they go together. Grace and living the life go together. And I don't think we can say it's all grace and then live any way you please. And I think it goes back to the heart of God. When he said in Genesis 17, walk with me and be blameless. Be in relationship and be blameless. Be holy because I am holy. Another quote from J.I. Packer in Rediscovering Holiness. We are all invalids in God's hospital. In moral and spiritual terms, we are all sick and damaged, diseased and deformed, scarred and sore, lame and lopsided. Don't you like that? Lopsided. To a far greater extent than we realize. Under God's care, we are getting better, but we are not well yet. Now through Christ, we have been brought to life, radically transformed, blessed with spiritual health. Thank God there is real truth in that, but spiritual health means being holy and whole. To the extent that we fall short of being holy and whole, we're not really healthy either. Measured by the absolute standard of spiritual health that we see in Jesus, we are all no more, just as we are no less, than invalids in the process of being cured. Never forget, we're all in the midst of our sanctification. That's the theological term for that. We're all in the midst of our sanctification. And part of that is learning to live under the commands and in obedience to the commands of Jesus. Trust and faith that saves us leads to obedience. The true child of God wants to please his father. As a child looks to the face of their parents to see if they are pleased when they do something, so should we. We should look to the face of the father and long for him to be pleased with what we do. Okay, one more question. Let me answer that and we'll wrap this up. So what about all these Old Testament laws? What about all these Old Testament laws? Can you eat catfish? You know? Old Testament, Old Testament saints couldn't eat catfish. They didn't have scales. That was a rule. Uh, so... 
Uh, should we build a tabernacle? Should we, should we go out in the parking lot here and build it, get, you know, pull out Exodus 25 through 40 and, hey, let's get on it. Let's build a tabernacle out there. And so we, you know, simply said, the, the, the ceremonial laws that we have with the Old Testament and all the sacrifices and all that, that that's past. Um, and, I, and, I, and the things that we would call ceremonial the moral law, the things that we would say are summarized in the Ten Commandments, are constantly reaffirmed in the New Testament as we move through scriptures. They are still part of us living holy, righteous lives. The Ten Commandments are still part of us living out a life for God. And again, when we see the commands, let's not see this as an angry God in heaven with a hammer who wants to to pound us with these laws, but see, see him rather as a conscientious manufacturer who tells me how not to hurt myself with this handy-dandy device. As a parent who loves their children and gives them direction, don't go out into the street, Johnny, okay? See it as that way. See it as the coach who's involved in your life and is teaching you the skills that you need to succeed in whatever area he or she is coaching you in. The Word of God is good. The commands of God are good. And that's why we get all those precious uh, uh, statements in Psalm 119 about how God's laws for us are so good. And it's always with our growth and our maturity in mind, and it's for our good. But understand this, relationship precedes the rules. Salvation, we'd say in theological terms, salvation precedes sanctification. Living holiness follows having the life, being in the family, being part of God's family. But as we look at the laws, and we think back in just in a, a real macro sense, the you must, and the, we see in the Bible, are a gift from a good God they're boundaries <clears throat> where you and I can flourish. Just as this device has limits to it, you and I have limits. And we need God, who knows better than we, to give us the limits so that we can flourish and our life can be full. And as Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and might have it abundantly. So, law and grace. Grace and law. Salvation, then sanctification. Relationship, then the rules. Then our heart's desire is to please our Father because we know who He is and what He has for us. Now, some of you today, maybe this is, understand this grace thing, maybe you've been thinking it's about what you do, what you do, what you do, what you do, that somehow is going to earn your standing with God. I have good news for you. It's the grace of God. God's already done everything that's necessary for your salvation. That's the good news of the gospel, and I'd love to chat with you about that if you're still unwrapping that. If you have questions, uh, if you want to make some movement, uh, I'd love to chat with you. Okay, next week, we're going to camp out on Numbers 13 and 14. And um, so you get a little pause this week, but I'd encourage you to read ahead because there's a lot coming. And if you're trying to keep up with the reading, you, you probably want to get ahead. Let's stand together for a closing prayer.
As always, if I can chat with you, if you'd like to chat with me about your spiritual journey, I'm, I'm sure up for that. Father in heaven, thank you for your truth. Help us, Lord, to not get confused, to understand grace, and to understand your commands, and to understand how they fit together. In Jesus' name, amen.